Good morning, Smithfield. Oh, that song doesn't get old, does it? The Lord is good, and His grace is amazing. And that's why we come every Sunday. Every Sunday, God's grace is manifest as we gather, as we proclaim the gospel till He comes again. We're reminding ourselves every Sunday that God's grace is greater than all our sin. Amen? And that's God's grace transforms lives. So I want us to turn, if you would, to uh, Psalm 51. Psalm 51. And then we will have a word of prayer. Psalm 51. Let's come before the Lord and pray together. Father God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that amazing grace is sweet. And it reminds us, Lord, that though we were once lost, that we've been found in Christ. That though we were once afar off, you've brought us near by the blood of your Son. That though we were once in darkness, the light has dawned. That though we were once dead in our sins and trespasses, you made us alive. And that though we were once without this kind of hope, you have begot this hope in our hearts. And that we thank you that as we sing it, Lord, it, it's like grace breaking fresh over our hearts even now. And Lord, as we think about the goodness of the gospel and the goodness of our Savior and the reality that... You provide a life that is abundant and true and good. Lord, we are freshly awakened to our need as fallen human beings, struggling and embattled with sin, and even as believers, and perhaps even some unbelievers in here today who might not know you. I just pray, Father, that, that you would remind us that there's hope at the foot of the cross. There's hope when we look to a Savior who's able to do above and beyond what we ask, hope, or imagine, and who is a master craftsman of taking shipwrecked lives and making them new, and taking our messes and, 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 and making a masterpiece of grace that, that becomes a monument like John Newton was able to do as he penned the words Amazing Grace. We just thank you that you transformed a man like that to pen a song like that about the glorious gospel. So I pray as we sit here, would you open our hearts now? Would your spirit come on us in power? And Lord, help me to get out of the way. And whatever you have planned for us, visit us with a word of hope and a word of grace and draw us in. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we have a 150 psalms smack dab in the middle of our Bibles for a reason, because the Psalms really express the life of faith lived out through all sorts of circumstances in everyday life. Real faith, real struggles, real valleys, real mountaintop experiences, and the Psalms are just filled with life as we experience it under the sun. And ultimately... Um, we, we get to approach 
the Psalms as sort of lookers on, seeing and peering over the shoulders of men of faith that live for God in the midst of some really hard things, right? The valleys went really deep and the throes of despair sometimes came upon real believers like David. I mean, David, one day he's slaying giants, right, with a couple smooth stones and a sling. He's the king of Israel. He's a man after God's own heart. And as we read in that text, then there was a day when kings ought to go out to war, but David remained behind. And it happened upon one day that he went out on a roof and he looked and he saw Bathsheba and the tangled web of sin began to choke his life. And he did unthinkable things, committed adultery, committed all sorts of deception to cover it up. The lies turned into webs of lies that turned into murderous plots to just hide and put a cover on his sin because he did not want to be found out. And the chapter we read ends by saying, now the thing that David did displeased the Lord. So we've got Psalms that capture, and Psalm 51 is capturing David's experience in the valley of utter moral failure and devastation in his life. The king of Israel with national publicity has his sin uncovered and it becomes a scandal and a stink in all of the nation. Now, when you and I sin, typically that doesn't become a national scandal, but for David, it did. Everybody knew he committed adultery. Everybody knew he murdered Uriah. Everybody knew. And wherever he turned, he was faced with his sin. And so I, I just, I love the Psalms because they remind us about what to do when we get in messes, right? The, the Psalms give us words to lament the moments in life where we're totally failing. And you don't have to have grievous sin like David, who was once a man after God's own heart, right? And he falls into this. You don't have to have this kind of heinous sin to need this psalm. Because in many ways, you may have stepped in the room and you feel like failures. You feel like you have let so many people down in your life. You feel like there's something that, that you've done that no, there's no way you can get forgiveness. You're, you're before God, you're guilty, and you can't get rid of it no matter what you do. Maybe you're like David and you tried to cover it up with so much stuff, but you couldn't do it. And it's just weighing so heavily on you. We've got a psalm in the Bible to direct us back to God. And it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by David after this great failure. And it's a psalm that helps us run towards hope in the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of our messy situations, right? So if you walked in and you've got family,
trouble going on. There's hope for you in this psalm. If you walked in and you've been living a web of lies and you can't really tell what's true and what's not anymore. You've told so many. There's hope for you in this psalm. If you have come in here today and you just feel like as a parent, you've failed on so many levels that you can't count anymore. There's hope for you in this passage. And even if you've come in today and you've had cross words with your spouse this morning. And you feel like, I can't even, I can't even do church right now. Because I just feel terrible. We've got a psalm that articulates the cries of our heart. And it's been said that lament, which this Psalm 51 is a lament. Lament is the language of grief that opens the door for God's grace. Lament is the language of grief that opens the door for God's grace. And this is an inspired articulation of a heart freshly broken by sin and in need of God's deep, deep mercy and forgiveness to break over it. And how many of us need that? We all do. We all do, whether we realize it or not. So this psalm is, is asking questions about how can a man who failed so badly like David get put right with God? How can a man who, who's just put darkness all over his life and his family have the light begin to dawn again? And more than that, it speaks to me and you. How do we stand before a holy God when we blow it miserably? When you had a fight that was so bad that you can't even believe the stuff that came out of your mouth. And no bar of soap can rinse it clean. It's just out there in the ether. And what do you do before the face of God? Well, Psalm 51 is our help, right? It's our hope because it was David's hope. To come to a place of redemption. It's like gospel balm for sin battered souls. It's like, it's like a bath of grace and redemption pouring over a needy broken soul. And if that's where you're at today, I've got really good news for you. Because this psalm's for you. And even if you don't really think you're all that bad. Guess what? This psalm is for you because it'll wake you up to what you're really like. So you can enter into the blessedness and the freedom of the forgiveness of God. When you really acknowledge where you're truly at before him. So let's look at it. I'm, I'm going to have us read it. We'll read the first 12 verses. And then I want to I want to talk to you about a few things from this passage. And I want us to really be looking at. The plea for mercy that we see in this, right? We're going to see a plea for mercy. We're going to see an acknowledgement of the ugliness of sin. And we're going to see a, a man seeking God's redemption. And then all of a sudden getting renewed. So let's look at it together. Psalm 51. 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. And hear this, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. That's the heart cry of a man. Desperately broken. But running towards hope. In the Lord. A man who's longing for renewal and is traveling the road of repentance. I was just talking to somebody the other day and they were so low and so discouraged. And they'd been running into alcohol, substance abuse, and they could not get any relief. They'd been going to something that wasn't God. They'd been crossing lines. They know they shouldn't. And, and, and there was no hope. There was a sense of hopelessness. There was a sense of despair. There was a sense in which I'm not worthy. And this individual told me, I'm, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve rescue. I don't deserve redemption. And none of us do. That's what this psalm is after. David doesn't come to God and go, Lord, I've got it all together. And you can help out a little bit after I help myself, after I clean myself a little bit. No, he just comes before God, honestly, with his real heart. And, 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 and I began to share with this individual, like, if you feel like you're hopeless and if you feel like you can't fix yourself and if you feel like you're at the end of your tether and there's nothing you can do to paper over your sin, there's nothing you can do to kind of fix yourself. There's no resolution. There's no improvement, self-help sort of mechanism to get yourself right. When you've come to the end of yourself, you're finally ready for grace. And that's what this psalm is all about. And David was the best of us. None of us in here are better than David. Who knows what we have, would have done with the power and the prestige and the influence and the abilities of David. He was the king of Israel, the most powerful man on the planet at one time. But he was just a man. With a nature like ours. And every single one of us 
are indicted in that story of David falling in sin. You know, it didn't just happen overnight. It was over time. David began to cut corners. David began to sort of uh, get lazy spiritually. I can do this kinging thing from the palace. I don't need to be out with the troops. You know what? This whole like one wife for one man thing. Maybe we can bend a little bit on this. I got some political alliances to forge here. Maybe you're going to have a few wives. And lust began to draw his heart away from the living God. And by the end of the chapter, he's an adulterer, a murderer, a deceiver. He's abused his power. And he's fallen so far. And the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Have you been there? Have you been to the place where you're finally ready to say, you know what? I need God. I really, I really need God. I can't, I can't fix it. David tried to fix it. We saw it. So really quickly, I want us to see and walk through this text. We're not going to deal with every little nuance. But David pleads for mercy. Repentance, repentance pleads for the mercy of God. Look at it in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David is acknowledging he needs God. He's acknowledging he can't fix himself. He's acknowledging... He's dependent on God to do something. Have mercy, God. I'm just, I'm throwing myself at your mercy. You know what we do when we do that? We're admitting we're guilty. We're admitting our need. We're admitting we need rescue from God. And it is a hard thing for proud-hearted people who are self-sufficient and want to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I don't need God. I could do it on my own. Right? But God is showing us Right in the school of life that we need grace and mercy. And if you think you're in here today and you're like, I'm not all that bad. I mean, I didn't kill anybody. I actually was talking to somebody the other day. I'm, I'm not a murderer. I'm not an adulterer. But you're a rebel before God. And it turns out this individual was pouring his life into alcohol to try to just numb and medicate himself to get through it now listen we are going to try to fix ourselves one way or another and pleading for the mercy of God is when all those excuses and all of those things that we hide behind we just throw them down and we say Lord I need you oh how I need you and David's there have mercy on me oh God According to your steadfast love. He's pleading based on the character of this glorious, loving, good God. Do you realize how much God loves you? Do you realize how much God cares? You're not alone in this world. You're not alone with yourself in your messes. The merciful God 
broke in. He sent Jesus into the world to rescue sinners. And he sent Jesus to a cross because Psalm 51 is only possible if a redeemer comes to rescue. And we'll get there. But we, we need the mercy of God. We need the grace of God breaking in. And David knew enough to throw himself down before the good and merciful character of God. Are we doing that on a regular basis? Have you took your brokenness before God? Have you, have you, it, it, it's not just a sort of a, a once in a lifetime sort of thing where it's like, I'll just bring it to God this one time and the rest of it, he'll be okay with. It's an ongoing lifestyle of repentance. This psalm is in the Bible to sensitize your soul to your need for mercy on a daily basis. None of us, hear me on this, none of us are grace graduates in here. I did the grace of God thing, and I'm really not that bad anymore. But the more you come to know God, the more you realize how broken you are and how much you need him. And that honesty and that lament over brokenness invites grace in. The Lord resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And you know, we saw a picture of David proud-heartedly trying to deal with his sin. First, he was going to lie about it and cover it up. I'll fix it. I'll cut corners. I'll try to deal with it on my own. Then he tried to ignore it. It wouldn't go away. Then he plotted to cover it up in some very devastating ways. And it just haunted him. The haunting specter of guilt he could not deal with. And now he gets it. He's expressing the heart of a guilty man coming to terms with his relationship with God, that it's been broken, and he's leaning on the mercy of God. Verse 1, have mercy on me. Verse 2, wash me. Verse 2 again, cleanse me from my sin. And all of it is according to the merciful, gracious, loving character of God. David doesn't approach God like a tyrant. I don't know what your view of God is today. But maybe you cower before him like he's a tyrant, ready to pounce on you. When the truth is, he's a compassionate and merciful God. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he's drawing David in. And we didn't read it, but in 2 Samuel 11, the chapter... Right next to it, 2 Samuel 12, God sends a prophet named Nathan to David to wake him up. And it was mercy. Listen to how it reads. And the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but a little ewe lamb which he had bought and he bought it up and it grew up with him and with his children and it used to eat his morsel and his food and his drink from his cup and lie down in his arms and it was like a daughter to him 
And now there came a traveler to a rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare it for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And then David, hearing this story, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man who has done this thing deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And God in mercy speaks through the mouth of Nathan to David and says, you are the man. You are the man, David. It's you who've done this. It's you who've took another man's wife. Did I not provide for you? Did I not give you everything you need? And you went and you took this one man's wife for yourself and then you killed him. You were the man, David. And sometimes we don't like being called out in our sin, but it's a mercy of God to you. If you've ever had somebody call you out in a gracious, loving manner and say, what you've done has displeased the Lord, doesn't honor God, and you're convicted, and there's two things you can do with that. You can do what David did and say, I have sinned and transgressed against my God. And then he breaks out in Psalm 51 language to articulate a heart of repentance. Or you can get hardened and say, who are you to tell me any of that? You know, it's like there, there's words in this psalm that articulate just how grievous sin is, right? We, we don't often like to talk about it, but look, look at this, because that's the second thing we see. David pleads for mercy, but then he understands and acknowledges his sinfulness. He acknowledges the ugliness of sin. Look at it in, in verse 3. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. And against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And then he says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. So a couple words for sin. Transgression. We all know this, even though it probably sounds a little bit like couched in religious garb. But transgression is the same word we get for trespass, right? So if you see a fence and it says no trespassing, you're not to be go beyond the point of the fence. And if you do, trespassers will be prosecuted. Trespassers will be punished. Trespassers who go beyond the fence point will be dealt with. Or in just more of a, a regular modern day thing, right? In terms of the parking lot. And you see a handicapped space. This is what sin looks like. I see the handicapped space. I'm not handicapped. I'm going to park in it. Because I don't care what the law says. I'm going to do it anyways. Because I make my own rules. And I do my own thing. And we blow past the stop signs. We blow past the signposts that God has laid out. That's the heart of rebellion that's in all of us. Right? And I'm not trying to make people feel guilty for parking in a handicapped spot. But the, the, the point is, we do that with God. 
transgression is going past and crossing the line of God's boundaries, God's good designs. And deep down, we all know what they are, even if we numb ourselves to it at times. Transgression. Iniquity has the idea of a moral impurity. It's, it's something that infects your very being. It's, it's a sense of more like a pervasive immorality that, that, that infects and makes the heart sick. And the Bible talks about the heart being desperately wicked or desperately sick. Who can understand it? There's something bent in us. There's something that, that just gravitates towards wrong things, right? That's why small children don't have to be taught how to sin or to lie or to punch or to steal or to do any of that stuff. It's organic. There's something that's happened with us. And David gets at it in verse 5, right? Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, he's not saying that the process of his birth was sinful. What he's saying is that by his very nature to the core, something's broken inside. And if you reflect on it a moment, I think we all know that that's true. Something's not right. Something's not right inside. Something is not right. Something's unsettled until you get right with your maker. And that is what this psalm is all about articulating. Because David is not trying to be heavy in the sense of, of this is a man who's bringing his guilt somewhere. Right? What are we doing with our guilt and our sin and our shame? If we don't bring it to God, we're stuffing it. We're trying to fix it ourselves. We're ignoring it. And it never works. We're like eventually haunted like David was. I know my transgressions. I know where I've crossed the line. My sin is ever before me. And it's like it won't go away. Everywhere he looks is a carnival of mirrors. So repentance needs to deal honestly with sin. It needs to acknowledge what sin really is. And verse 4 reminds us clearly that sin is a vertical problem, right? Sin is vertical first. David says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And you might be thinking to yourself, are you kidding me? David actually committed adultery. Surely he hurt Bathsheba. Surely he hurt Uriah. David committed murder. A man's blood is fresh on the ground of the battlefield because of David's actions. What do you mean that it's against God and only him? Now, David is not denying the horizontal disaster that sin can bring into lives. Every one of us has that witness on a daily basis. But what we don't often think about is the vertical relationship to sin and our relationship with God. And David sees that primarily, first and foremost, sin is about our relationship with God. Sin is an offense against our maker because he's the one who sets the boundaries. He's the one who sets the boundary lines, and that when we cross them, we give an account to him. And the Bible bears witness that God has designed these boundary lines for our good, for our freedom, for our blessing. But 
what has occurred is a trampling of God's good designs. And so what happened to David was he thought he didn't need God. He thought he didn't need to do what God told him to do. And so he would just stay at home. And before long, the sin just kinds of snowballs out of control. And maybe you can't identify with the end of David's story where it's just like, who is this man? Who put on the David costume and ran around town sleeping with Bathsheba and, and committing murder and running around with a web of lies? Where is the man after God's own heart? Well, no, it was David. But it started with compromise. It started with not taking serious God's good design for him as a king. And what we do when we sin is we say no to God with a shaking fist. I don't need to do it your way, right? I lived 21 years just shaking my fist at God, and then God woke me up. Somebody preached the gospel, and, and I was aware of my sin one day. I realized I needed redemption. I realized I needed grace. I realized I needed forgiveness. And then I was woke up to the reality that even though I was saved, I still struggled with sin. So I want us to think about, like, David is not articulating a one-and-done sort of repentance here. He's articulating a way of life. A way of just consciously living before the face of God. Lord, I know you see this. I know when I crossed the line, it was before your face. And you see it. And I want to make it right with you. Jesus once reminded us that sin comes from our hearts. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. But it's from within, out of the heart of man, that comes evil thoughts and sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus was pointing to an inner need inside your heart. If you think sin is out there and that's where the problem is, Jesus is redirecting us and saying the sin is in your heart. And that's where redemption and reformation and transformation needs to take place. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. What Jesus offers and what Psalm 51 offers is a new heart and a restored life. And a revived soul. So David realizes that he is a person that needs redemption. Look at it in, in uh, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. David's seeking something. He's seeking a clean heart. Are you in here today and you feel like, I have a dirty heart? I feel like, Pastor, 
all the stuff you've said about blowing through stop signs, blowing through God's uh, clear fences. I've just blown through, them, blown through them all. My heart is messed up. I am really struggling with the guilt and the shame. And I feel like I have no hope of moving forward. And I give you David pleading with God in prayer saying, Lord, create in me a clean heart. David needed redemption and so do we. David needed redemption and so do you. David needed redemption and so do I. Listen to him in verse 7. He says, purge me. It's just, it's visceral language. Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, how precious is the flow that makes us white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. David knew he needed cleansing from moral impurity. He needed cleansing from the guilty conscience. And he needed a restored relationship with God. And this language of purge me with hyssop. I was struggling with hyssop. Hyssop is a plant, right? And it's used to apply blood in cleansing ceremonies in ancient Israel. And it was used, it's the very thing that was used in the book of Exodus to apply the blood of the lamb that was slain at Passover to apply to the doorposts of the homes in Israel so that the angel of death and judgment would pass over Israel and fall on the Egyptians. Purge me with hyssop. Listen to the account as Moses articulates it. He says, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch it to the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians and he will see the blood that is on the lintel and on the two doorposts, and the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter the houses to strike you. The judgment of God passes over the one who's cleaned and purged with the hyssop of God. And beloved, listen, Jesus is the new Passover lamb. John the Baptist walking in the midst of the people of God looked at Jesus and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the people. Behold, the lamb of God. You want a clean hand or clean hands and a pure heart? You want God to create in you a clean heart. And that word is the same word that God uses when he creates the heavens and the earth. He has to create it in you. It has to come through Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, who is the one who died on the cross, whose blood actually was shed for your sins so that you can be forgiven and brought into a redemptive relationship with God. You want to walk through the journey of taking the valleys of darkness and the shadows of death and the, the carnage that sin breaks out in your life. 
and bring it to God, you must come through Jesus who will clean you. You must come through Jesus who will rescue you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes on him shall not perish. And it could say, and they'll be cleansed with hyssop and made new and be given a new heart. But John uses other language and says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The pathway into a right relationship with God is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And then you can say with David, in all of your heart, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me and restore to me the joy of your salvation. So maybe you walked in here today feeling like you need redemption. Feeling like you've tried everything to make it right. And it won't work. And you feel like there's something going on inside you that's drawing you to Jesus. There's something going on inside you that's calling out for the mercy of God. There's something inside you that's recognizing the love of God and the joy of God that comes from a right relationship with him. Because before this psalm is over, David says, restore, verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing or a persevering spirit. Not only can God save us from our sins and forgive us from our sins and create a new heart in us, but he can keep us. Lest you think, well, God can save me, but what if I blow it all over again? What if I make shipwreck of my life all over again? Will he take me back? Oh, behold the doorway of Psalm 51. Behold the doorway of grace as you lament truly your heart before God and your brokenness and you come to God honestly. The Bible just reminds us that forgiveness and redemption is ultimately one heart cry away through a soul that acknowledges their need for God. That looks to the cross of Christ for redemption and cries out, Lord, create in me a clean heart. So if you don't know Christ, there's hope for you today. That's a word for you. And if you're in Christ. We have this great, beautiful relationship with God. And the Lord wants to sensitize you to your need for repentance. Perhaps you've not really talked or thought about daily repentance, daily confessing your sin to God, daily making sure that your heart's right in the sight of God and not hardening yourself to the Lord. So I'd like to pray. And wherever you're at, maybe you just feel like, I need to repent today. I'm a believer, but I've grossly neglected the gift of repentance and lament over my sin. And I'd like to bring it to God.
And maybe you're an unbeliever. And you just sense God calling you to himself. And you, you hear the message of Jesus' love for you, and you just want it. You want it for yourself. Let's pray. Father, I just pray, God, for your spirit to be at work right now in hearts. Lord, you have brought us here to this moment. You've brought us to this passage. You've brought us to this text. And Lord, you're calling us to really get honest before you. And Lord, as the people of God cry out in true repentance, revival happens. And as those who are far from God cry out in true repentance and look to Jesus, salvation happens. And I just pray, Father, that you would be moving on each of those categories in our hearts. And Father, I pray that you would prepare us now in this moment to really get on us before you. That you would awaken grace inside us that draws us to Jesus. And if you just want to raise your hand in the air while we're praying, and you just feel like you need to get honest before God, and you want to raise your hand and just acknowledge you need grace today. You need the grace of repentance. You need the grace of forgiveness. So just lift up your hand in the air so I could see it. I'd love to pray for you. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. You, real, you realize like God's doing something in your heart, and you need to acknowledge it before him. God bless you. Anybody else that the Lord is doing? God bless you. Now I'm going to ask you to do something, whether you're a believer or not. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. It's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer kind of like David. So as we're praying and as we're just before God, it's just you and him. Just pray this after me. Pray, dear God. I believe that I'm a sinner. And I believe that my sin deserves justice. But I plead for your mercy, oh God. Please forgive me of my sins. Purge me with hyssop. I'm looking to Jesus to save me. I believe he died on the cross. And I believe... He rose from the dead. Please come into my life afresh. Wash me of the guilty shame and restore unto me the joy of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.